What are we going to talk about? Can we talk about how cute my Tito sweatshirt is? Wait, I complimented you on your cuteness just off of like the layering of the sweatshirt. Oh, the the layering of the dress blouse. Yeah. With the Tito sweatshirt. So I don't know if this is going to be on video, but Kevin. Oh, yeah. Okay. Precious is this was my, my secret Santa was my DYC secret Santa was Jesse and she got me a Tito, which was my, you know, my, my favorite dog. Don't, uh-huh. don't put, put your, your muffs on other dogs. <laughs> um, his face embroidered on a sweatshirt with his name. It was just delivered today That's and amazing. I had to put it on over my blouse because I mean, I would just, if you see me wearing that, this ex- I wasn't going to ask, but now I understand what's happening. <laughs> like what's going on here? This is a new sweatshirt. Look trend, oh, yeah. This is a new, it's this cute. Is a new with her dark rim glasses. Well, like all the kids are doing it. I know. I, that's and why I, I, said, I wasn't going to ask. New My glasses. assumption would just be that I'm out of touch with fashion. That's, it's not hard to imagine. Yeah. So if you like the it's sweatshirt, believable. sweatshirt blouse combo, I'm starting a new trend for 2024. Well, since you, we're, I mean, these are, I mean, these you don't are even my, want to know what I have on for my pants. These are my the favorite same. shoes in the world. And my family is convinced that they are just bowling shoes. I'm like, I know I'm they old. Do. And I they know, do look like bowling shoes. Yeah. I like they're, them. They're like, it's like an all birds kind of material. Oh, yeah. What, they're what's super the, lightweight. What's uh, the brand? Cole Hahn, I think. Zero, oh. zero. They're, they weigh nothing. They're like. Oh, like zero um, gravity shoes. What are those called? OG, Geo, what, um, OC, OC. Yeah, I see. I just oh, I thought that was a, I thought that was an off brand from Walmart. True story. Oh no, because there's a oh, logo no. that's similar to that that Walmart used to use for like their and, and so people are wearing those shoes all around. Like I guess people don't care anymore. They're just wearing Walmart shoes everywhere. Would you believe and me if I told you? Find out they're actually expensive and would you believe? Would you believe me if I told you that? The pants I have on have dog faces all over them. Yes. Yeah. That don't match. Don't match my. Prove it. Prove so it. I, I, no, listen, I, I went. I went downstairs to get what, some are coffee. You recording? I don't know if we're. Recording. <laughs> I don't know. I went downstairs to get some coffee, and my husband's like, mm, "Nice look today." <laughs> I think. I think you should just throw a blazer on on top of that. <laughs> oh, I love it. Olivia responds. Yes, we're recording. I, the the okay. year is the oh. same, but Kevin's sarcasm level hasn't changed. <laughs> the year is different, but my sarcasm level is still the same. We're always recording. We're always on video, Jen. I know. All right. Let's get going. Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. Welcome to episode 320. I'm Kevin Oakley with me today. It's Beth Russell and Jen Barkin. Woohoo, happy new year. We can still say that because it's the first week. podcast. This is this is the market proof marketing podcast, but oh, I know, I, like I know where I am. It's a crossover. <laughs> it is. I was supposed to record an OPT earlier today, but guess what? I had no internet. Oh, yeah, went I thought out you were after just our saving call. Your energy for, for this. oh no, I was just going to do two and one. I was going to do two in the same day. Just, no, she's no. that good. Yeah, it. My internet. I lost internet, so we got to move it. Oh but I have internet for MPM. So let's That's rock That's all that matters. I know. For me. <laughs> all right. Story time. We're, uh, it's January 4th. So we've had three working days um, to the year. So I want to hear all about mm-hmm. your insights that you've gleaned from the first couple of days. Mm. 2024. Mm. Who's going first? You are. You're our me? special guest. Yeah. Oh, I'm going first. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. I have a couple things. First of all, when last time I was on the podcast, I said that my word was discipline for the year. Do you remember this? 
I do remember the discipline and we got to be disciplined in everything you do, but I'm changing my mind. Discipline, yes, is still important. However, mm-hmm. over the break, I was cleaning out my office and I actually dusted my shelves and I, my sign that is normally behind me that says give and um, teach, uh-huh. it has another side and oh. I flipped it over and what does it say? Success, Success. And then I can't read the rest. Yes. Okay. It says is liking yourself, liking what you do and liking how you do it. It's a Mm. Maya Angelou quote. And so I'm dusting and I flip this over and I'm like, okay, like success, like this is my word. This is my word for the year because I mean, we have to first really like what we're doing, liking, feel good about how we're doing our job. And so when I, when I think about online sales specialists, I'm thinking, you know, do you, do you still like what you're doing? Do you feel good about that call that you just had? You feel proud of it? How you spoke with that customer, the result, like nothing else is going to happen or you're, you're not going to be successful in your metrics or your conversions or with your sales team or anything that you do, unless you are liking what you do, liking how you do it and feeling good about it. So that is 2024 right off the bat. That's what we're doing. We're going to be successful. Yes. Okay. I'm obsessed with this because, and Kevin, I'm going to put you on blast here. Um, Because at (laughs) the end of- I don't know what that means, but I'm excited for it. You should totally be. It's actually a compliment. So um, rare, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, At the end of last year, I had my like yearly meeting with Kevin. Oh gosh he opened up my eyes to something that like, I always knew about myself, but I needed to hear in a way that was helpful. And in a way that kind of restructured my idea of it, which is kind of what you're pointing Did to. It but also he was, almost make you cry. I'm, I'm no. not sure. What okay, good. Then <laughs> continue. Is, and a- you know, it's easy to make <laughs> me cry. So like, I'm not afraid to cry. So that's okay. Um, but yeah, he was like, you're a success addict. And that can, and it's so true. It's so true. And I think there's so many ways that that can be, that can hinder you and it can hold you back and it can get in your way. If you're focusing on the wrong definition of success, or if you've defined success a certain way in your mind, but if you Mm -hmm. reframe it, like you're talking about here with this Maya Angelou quote, and you reframe of what success actually means, and you're able to harness that addiction, that both Kevin and I have, it's really like, it creates a much healthier life and you become just a lot happier holistically. And I feel like that's what last year was for me was kind of chipping away at some of those negative associations I had with success and redefining them in certain ways. And now it's just, you know, kind of continuing on in that process. I love that term. Um, success addict. I hadn't, I hadn't, if I had heard it and someone I know told it to me, I apologize, but I was reading a book and it, there was a whole chapter on it. And that was success as defined by my Angelo immediately. I just thought like, well, that's sustainable success. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas a success addict is just like, okay, great. I did that yesterday. Nothing else matters. I'm starting over at zero. If I don't accomplish a new record milestone achievement, if I don't write another book, if I don't do another thing that just keeps pushing higher and higher, I've accomplished nothing. And that the danger of being a success addict in that sense is as you age, that becomes impossible to continue. And then you, you have two choices. You either just hang on forever and become like this irrelevant thing. And I mean, you're still a person, but everyone else around you is kind of like, why are they still trying to like act like they're 20? They're like, you're the teenager. Like, mom, you don't have to be cool. You can be, you can be a cool mom, but you still need to be a mom. Like you don't have to try to be mm-hmm. a teenager, that kind of vibe uh, mm-hmm. in a professional setting. Or you just like burn everything else in your life to try to achieve that next success, which a lot of people don't realize what comes with the success they're trying to achieve too. Mm-hmm. They just have no idea. It- it's almost like, like you're never satisfied, right? Like you're, you're mm-hmm. searching for something. And that is, like you said, I agree. That's a slippery slope of mm-hmm. like, not, not feeling fulfilled or happy or 
Yeah. yeah, it's a really dangerous game because you're like Kevin was just talking about, you're constantly looking for you've accomplished something and then it's what's next, what's next. But it's, it's in a way that's not like geared towards just growing yourself or betterment or just like elevating what you're already doing. It's geared towards this like huge goal that you feel this need to set in order to feel that high and get those endorphins and get endorphins again of like, oh, I did it. And like crossing that off your list and Mm -hmm. So how are you curing your addiction? Reframing how I see success and like having really good conversations. Like that's why I'm so grateful. I mean, not to get cheesy, Kevin, but that's why I'm so grateful of that conversation because Oh. Kevin and I have like we've he's got really emotions good at having- coming out. Yeah, oh. I don't I don't I don't feel good about this. Can we I, I wanted to so we have <laughs> you can say nice things later. We're not recording. Um there's so many great people on our team now that I never know for sure where things are coming from. And that's half the fun. But Carla, so I don't I'm saying this because I don't know if it's because someone else sent it to her or told her to read something. I don't even know where it's from. But she sent me this quote yesterday that said slow success builds character and fast success builds ego. Mm-hmm. And oh, again, it's like, let's all be excited for the new year. Let's set some goals. But I just want to rage yeah. against this. Like, I've got to go climb the next Mount Everest or 2024 is worthless. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so you had it on your phone too. Did that, is that because she, she sent, sent it to you or too. you sent it to her? Okay. Yeah, she sent I, well, I like, I'm always wondering like, where's this stuff coming from? Mm-hmm. Um, but slow success builds uh, character, fast success builds ego. And mm-hmm. again, not that any one book has all the answers, but the again, the, the key parts of the Maya Angelou quote uh, here, which I can read from the show notes is success is liking yourself, liking what you do and liking how you do it. And I also would say the the piece out on there is who you're doing it with, because mm-hmm. the insight kind of for me was that relationships and not to get too cheesy, but at the end of the day, it's like love, which can only be defined by uh, relationships. It can be platonic love. It, I mean, there's multiple definitions of the word. Thank you, uh, Greek um, language for having four different definitions of the word love, but the point is if you don't have relationships and this is one of the things that I've been wondering a lot about why there's been this fatigue that we've had ever since the pandemic in our Mm -hmm. industry but I don't think it's just in our industry and at first it was like oh it's because of the pace of change and the whiplash effect and just the the continual and now I'm wondering if it isn't really this lack of relationships whether that's internally or um and it's just the way I've always been wired. This I think protected me a little bit from that of like, oh, we could do work for anyone. We could push buttons on a screen, but like the exciting thing, ironically to some people in my personal life, it's like, I do really enjoy the relationships, the good and the bad and the camaraderie that comes from mm-hmm. solving problems with other people. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder if some of that is like, it creates this extra strong needs for this other kind of success because we're missing professional relationships that are more well-rounded because of the post-pandemic pandemic effect. Absolutely. And I think that is, I think that's part of the reason why originally in the show notes, I was, it was, I had written down, it's tis the time for resolutions. And I think a lot of times when people are building their near resolutions, they're doing things very siloed through their own vision of who they are. And they're not doing enough with the people around them. And I think as marketers or as online sales, building those relationships that you're speaking to, Kevin, that's what we really need to focus on. We've been talking about from a marketing perspective, how we need to tune in to the heart again, how we need to create personalized content, how we need to tug on those, that emotional process of the purchasing process. But we need to do that internally within our teams too and strengthen those relationships. And I urge everyone to create resolutions if you're one, if you're someone that does that collaboratively with your team so that you approach it more externally and less internally and strengthen the relationships that you guys have as a team and as a company so that it doesn't continue to just dissolve and break. Yeah, I I feel like Jen, this is gonna make sense from your perspective. If we still have you, it looks like you're having some internet uh, issues again, or you're just not happy with me from your <laughs> video. I can't tell. Um, just kidding. She just froze for a little bit. But Beth, I just think again, the everyone 
what we observe from the outside uh, and from what people describe is like, hey, my sales manager kind of buzzes in with, I need these two pieces of data and I'm out, or I need to get this stuff done and I'm out. And then you have these other kind of um, like 100% just relationship or team building focused events, but there's, and those those are helpful we even talked, you know, at our at the summit, like, hey, do we want to have some offsite stuff for the do you convert team? And everyone was kind of like, at first I was like, huh, people aren't excited to just go someplace fun and, and have fun together. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, but that's actually like we have other ways that we found to have a relationship as a team. But this whole like, I'm just I'm here to give quick technical answers to someone else, sales manager, division president, whoever. And we're, we don't have this kind of ongoing team building occurring within the work itself in the same way. Yeah. This is different. It is. And when that happens, when that breakdown is there and those gaps and the relationships are present, it has a huge domino effect in so many ways, whether it be like as minimal as the data is not accurate or there's contention and people can't work together. And so they're not able to solve problems together. And a problem just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, which then turns into a larger issue of money is not being properly allocated. And, you know, that has its own <laughs> problems sure. from the top down. So you just said really dashboards or reports and that uh, I'm going to shift the conversation towards my story time, but on the way to my story time, I was listening to um, the Lex Friedman podcast with Jeff Bezos, and it was fascinating because of the the amount of, you know, it's a really long form podcast. Typically his shows are like two, three hours or longer with guests. And so to hear Jeff talk with outside of a soundbite for as long as he did about the process of building the company was really interesting. And one of the things he said is I always trusted antidotes. When antidotes and, and data conflicted, individual stories of consumers having issues or good, good or bad, whatever. I always trusted the antidote more than the data. And I think that is so far away from where we are now. Again, as managers who have grown up believing or being told that the answer is hundred percent implicitly there in your dashboard or report. And we, you know, we've gotten pretty good at this, a convert of helping people see past it, but they're like, no, no, like our, our, um, well, one, one real clear example from a couple of years ago is like, oh, chat's doing awesome for us. Like, look at all that we're getting from chat and customers love it. We love it. And like, okay, but it takes your average response time to a chat is an hour and 20 minutes. I don't think like the, the anecdotal experience of that customer waiting forever, essentially to get an answer mm -hmm. is not good. So Jeff saying the example he gave is that there was a dashboard that said that their wait times were like two minutes or less. I think for like calling into Amazon for support. And yet they were getting all these individual antidotes of people who were really mad about their experience with having to wait too long. And like, well, the report says everything's great. Mm -hmm. He's like, all right, let's just call in a meeting with like 10 people in the room. Let's just call and see what happens. And they waited on hold. I can't remember the exact, I think I want to say it was like 20 minutes. Mm. And he just let it go because it was, it was proving his point of like, look, folks, we can't just say, the data looks good. The numbers look good mm -hmm. and back away from the anecdotal stories. Um, well, this is why communication with, I mean, who is the first person to talk to customers at your company? Online sales. Like, yep. and, and there's still that solid situation sometimes where they're just on an island doing their own thing and they need to be proactively communicating. Management needs to be asking questions, be curious, be talking. And not just look at a report like you're saying and go, oh, okay, like we're good. No, have a conversation about it. What are people saying? What are customers talking about? What are what questions are you getting? What's happening, you know, when they come out on site with these appointments? What are they saying? Like diving deep and and having those conversations is so important. And we're almost to my story time, but I just <laughs> think that that highlights the the need again for spot yeah. checking. And analysis. It it always surprises mm -hmm. owners or division presidents when I'll bring I'll surface things. I'm like, I just got in your CRM system for 10 minutes. I picked four different names, and three of the four had kind of concerning either holes or comments that you read them and they're like, oh my gosh, 
really? And, and like, yeah, I just, I picked four people at random. I'm not making an accusation yeah. or, or broad. I'm just saying there are antidotes here that there are things to be worked on and um, you got to continue to dive in no matter how well you build your dashboards. All right. My, um, story time is that the housing market is off to the races folks um Woo. we are now the latest uh snapshot data that i can see right now for from home builder data which is i believe we're we've crossed like 120 uh, 125 builders at this point and uh, and more coming on is we're only about 7000 users away from hitting another all-time high in website traffic to home builder websites nationally um, the dates after the Christmas, you know, pretty, pretty consistently a 10% increase year over year, again, national averages. Um, but on January 2nd, there were, the system tracked 200,000, um, unique individuals who are on home builder websites, looking at houses in that, in that single day. So, um, we're, we're back. And then also just like I talked about the anecdotal stories of all of the folks that we've had calls with since uh, the first of the year is holy smokes, uh, things are things are heating up quickly. And one builder we talked to this morning, um, you know, in the first two days of the year, their team had set fifty one appointments. Yeah, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, and uh, and and that's amazing of itself. But even the ratio of lead to appointment lead to appointment mm -hmm. had doubled. Um, so it wasn't just that like things had returned to normal, but the efficiency of what was going on and the drive of the customer and, and wanting to take that next step was there. So mm -hmm. this is your official notice. Uh, we are, and for those of you on video, I'll share the screen quickly so you can see, see this here. The yellow line is total users. And I think we will hit a new all-time high because last year, um, we didn't see these kind of spikes up super high until I want to say like end of March, even though from like, um, appointments and sales, again, that was strange thing about last year was that the Super Bowl was kind of the beginning of the end of, mm -hmm. of selling season, which is unusually early. So, yeah, um, I was, you know, I've only had a few coaching calls since again, Tuesday. So I don't have a whole lot of trends yet, but I was checking in. We had some new online sales specialists that had started like basically right at the holidays. And it was kind of like, okay, we're going to, we're going to throw you in there. And are you ready to start taking leads? And mm -hmm. she was like, yes, I'm ready. I'm like, okay. So basically the day after Christmas was like her first day kind of managing leads. And I checked, yeah, I checked in with her yesterday and she wrote back and said um i said she's like am i managing leads oh my gosh yes i've set 32 appointments 25 have shown up i had a sale and she goes i love it all caps <laughs> so i'm like yes this is amazing on so many levels uh, because she's loving it she's seeing success she's bit i mean 35 appointments or whatever, 32 appointments, whatever it was in, in the last few days. I mean, that's great. Brand new at that. So it was really, really awesome. Yeah. I think that, and this is the last kind of strange thing that I just want to talk about. Uh, Cause we got off a call, a leadership call. And one of the, the senior people was having trouble with a, with a senior mid-level manager kind of doing the right behaviors. And we talked about, obviously, consequences are an important part of this, but also um, motivators, like the, the the reasons why you would want to do something. And one of the reasons people oftentimes have a hard time developing a habit, and this comes from the book I keep referencing over and over again, Epic Change, is, um, is a lack of early feedback that's positive, right? You think mm. about like if you're going to start a, an exercise routine to try to build muscle mass, it's going to take you 30, 60 days before you really, and that, people just don't make it that long. So one of the interesting hacks that you can use when the spring market hits like it is hitting right now is demand those behaviors from your team that mm -hmm. you know will allow them to be successful in the summer and the winter. And there's this weird thing that can happen where in this case, it was someone who is often not on time to meetings. It's like, you say you have to be five minutes early to everything all the time. And here's the behaviors you want to hit. And then guess what? You can, when, when you exceed your sales goal in January, which you're going to have a really good opportunity to do, 
you can make a connection that isn't really there with those behaviors and, and help them feel like that is the early feedback of, yes, I'm doing mm -hmm. things the right way. And then surprise by that's if they continue that habit, because they're getting that feedback of this is working, the summer is not going to be as bad as it typically has been in the fourth mm -hmm. quarter. You'll figure it out. Presale without fail. When we developed it at Heartland was partly because, I mean, we did a launch that nothing in that book was done, but we sold 14 houses. And the answer was, well, that's just pent up demand. This is a really hot area. And that's why mm -hmm. we sold it. And that might well be the truth, but by having a defined repeatable process, it taught everyone in the company that this is how we do it. And sometimes it wouldn't have been necessary to get decent results or good results, but it, because of the faith and belief in that process and following it meant that even our C locations would perform like A locations at the launch. Mm -hmm. So use that hack in the spring market of demanding the behaviors from your team that you know is best for them and then tie that connection uh, to, to the immediate results that probably would have happened anyway. Just don't tell them that. My favorite thing about that is that you didn't say, Hey, motivate them with extra bonuses or sales contests and things like that. Because I started a book last night and I can't remember the name of it right now. So don't judge me. I apologize. But it was talking about a study that was done where different groups of people and different motivations, people essentially only change if they want to change. And so in one group, they were provided with some sort of positive reward, whether it was compensation or whatever. In this case, we'll say compensation. Another group, they received no additional compensation for the work that they did beyond X. And what they found over time is that the team that didn't receive compensation, although they didn't have as high of a spike in terms of productivity, they were steady in their productivity. And over time it grew because they were becoming self-motivated. Whereas mm -hmm. discipline. the other- They yep. had discipline. Yeah. yeah. And they yeah. were being rewarded by things like you're talking about, like great feedback and mm -hmm. their own, um, their own, what they, their own success. They were being motivated by accomplishing it's a something. self-fulfilling feedback loop, which is what you're always trying. I mean, people talk about the flywheel effect a lot, but that's, that's exactly what we're talking about is this thing mm -hmm. that will continue to build momentum based upon the behaviors doing. And that's, it's just a cheat code to use to, to do that at the beginning of the year and encourage people to to understand that those behaviors are are part of the part of the solution. All right, it's going to be an interesting 2024 everyone. <laughs> it's just I think it's going to be good from a sales perspective from uh just watching our industry continue to struggle with change. Um I, I, a couple of different analogies of uh presents under the Christmas tree. There's sometimes you get the present that you really like, this isn't a present, this is pajamas, mom and dad, or, um, <laughs> you know, like a savings bond. Sometimes you get like something that just kind of explodes in your face with, um, with glitter, like Mark Rober's, uh, uh, porch pirate boxes. Zillow, um, gave a couple MLSs a surprise Christmas gift on December 22nd by suing them. Uh, claiming that there's uh, some antitrust concerns because they they turned off the ability for their showing time product uh, to be used. Now, showing time is um, it's like a scheduling uh, service, mm -hmm. and these organizations decided to change providers. That's not really what made Zillow upset. Zillow said, hey, we went back and we gave them a sweetheart deal because showing time was the preferred solution for the MLS um, and then when this new one went in, Zillow's like, okay, great. We'll just be ultra competitive to the point. Like, why would you not? And these MLSs for some reason just said, we don't want you on here, period. And Zillow said, Hey, that's, that's not fair to the consumers and it violates antitrust. Um, I, I don't want to go too farther down in the rabbit hole. Cause if you're not interested at all in what that means in the existing home world, I don't think you have to the the thing that's just like whoa this is different is um no one sues mlss typically uh, especially not people who who are needing that data from an mls in order to populate their 
And so it's just, it's a sign of a couple things, I think. Um, one is ever since the NAR lawsuits, there's just this general thing of like, it, it's almost, I don't know, Beth, I feel like you'd some military thing from your, your husband, but like, it is almost that, um, that spider web effect of like, that's okay, what I was thinking. Some, so, someone yeah. got punched in the face and then, and there really was no response. And now a whole bunch of other people are like, uh, I don't know, maybe this is like a paper tiger or not a real tiger. And you know, Zillow certainly has the resources and the and the people with intelligent, uh, you know, understanding of how this works to say. I mean, they must feel pretty confident that they're going to either win or ultimately get what they want. Mm -hmm. And that's just new. It's different. I just feel like this is it's almost just like a domino effect, or I guess kind of like you're saying, like the the spider web where it started with the NAR stuff, and now it's. Like, I think we're just going to continue to see these different things popping up around, you know, real estate and brokerage and how we buy our homes in general. Like, yeah. it, it's really going to be interesting to see what else. We said it last year when this first started, like this was only the, this was the first chess piece in the game. Yeah. And a lot of pieces have since moved. And so it's going to be and, interesting to see how it folds out and continue to move. I think that's what surprised. I mean, some people that I are really good friends of mine and I would say have more experience than I do in a lot of areas of home building. They're, they're, it's, you know, it's, they were talking to someone else and they're like, yeah, you know, Kevin thinks this is going to have a big impact. I don't think it's going to have an impact for like eight to 10 years. And then two yeah. weeks later, they're like, oh, shoot. Uh, well, yeah, my Kevin, Kevin Maybe might I be should more pay right. attention I, to this a little bit more. Yeah. 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 In fact, Jen, you were saying you you know people who were brokers who were like, I don't know what you're talking about. That well, Beth and I were just talking about that. Like, I still feel like consumers know really clue or don't really understand how any of it works anyway. And then realtors, you know, that I know not really seem concerned, not really paying attention. I mean, yeah, they don't so, see it as a threat yet. They think things are just going to stay yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I'm looking for. I may not have it. Oh, here we. Go. Oh, shoot. Thousand watt sent something out. Um, and I can't find it. Can I find it? Okay. This Which statement best represents your opinion about the issue in the trial and the trial outcome? 40% said the National Association of Realtors and big real estate companies are finally facing consequences for ripping off home buyers and sellers with excessive commissions and fees. So this is surveys of consumers. 40% 40% said basically, heck yeah, okay. we're tired of getting ripped off. 10% said real estate agents are being attacked wrongly and this trial verdict was wrong. That's probably people who are related to someone in the industry. <laughs> or realtors themselves. I mean, because there's uh, a lot of them. So that's, that's possible. And then 50% said real estate agents who work with buyers will now have to negotiate how they are compensated directly with those buyer clients. And this makes sense to me. So 90% of people either said the verdict makes sense or heck yeah, we're excited about this. It's about time. Only 10% were saying, no, 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 this isn't that big of a deal. And yeah. they got this wrong. And so in the court of public opinion, thousand watts saying like, you're just going to have to start changing how you talk to consumers. If you're a realtor or a broker, you have to start that like now mm -hmm. because more people will become aware of it if they're not uh, right and they're just and they don't want to be blindsided that. after the fact if they didn't know about it i mean i think mm -hmm. yeah i think it's better to be transparent so that that's the present under the tree that you probably shouldn't have opened to begin with the other present is that present like you forgot was there you're getting ready to put the tree down. You're like, oh, wait, there's a present like way back underneath the tree. I want one of those. What is it? And everyone what just kind of forgot. Did that ever happen to you? I That happened to me a couple of times. An ember like, mug. Oh, <laughs> not yes, yet. That's true. Not yet, Jen. That's that's the end of the episode. Oh. I know you're doing lots of podcasts <gasps> and you're getting confused, but um, the present that a lot of people don't realize is under the tree. And I'm, again, I'm talking about consumers who are going to be shopping for homes this spring mm -hmm. is they have no idea what kind of home equity they have. They do not understand oh, the true change right. in value of their current home, or they do not believe it's real because the overall lack of volume makes them feel uncertain that, well, okay, great. That one house that went up for sale that I noticed in the last three months in my neighborhood sold for a crazy number, but 
that's probably just a one-off. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, and, and I we heard anecdotal stories today from someone who had at a sales meeting, uh, a couple of salespeople brought up that they'd been talking more about this and having success explaining the equity that they have that they didn't realize and how that could help them combat Purchase, affordability yeah. issues with, with mm-hmm. a home that they want. Mm-hmm. And so we have to make sure consumers find that present, open it and understand uh, what it means. If they currently own a home, they know their house is worth more, but most of them have no clue or don't believe that it's 30, 40, 50% more than it was two and a half, three years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the first step is our team's understanding how to figure that out and educating mm-hmm. themselves on on what that means, because there's a ton of salespeople yeah. out there that have no idea how to teach that to someone. No, I'm still waiting for either ah. someone like Opendoor or Zillow or someone to to like add a free plugin to every home builder's mortgage calculator mm-hmm. that just says, oh, you're playing with a mortgage calculator? Great. Why don't you plug in your current address if you have one and we'll automatically roll in estimated equity into that calculation because holy smokes, that can change the game. Yeah. Mm. Just a free idea for whoever wants to, you know, someone out there might want to. I'm doing it. Builders. Ping us if you do it. We want to, we want to track it. We want to see it. All right. Uh, first up for real on the news is uh, U-Haul migration trends. Texas and Florida, once again, top growth states in 2023. Texas net, netted the largest number of movers in a one-way U-Haul equipment rental. Um, it, it's, Man, moving, it just sucks. I had some friends who moved and we helped them move in over the holidays. And it was just a reminder of, of like, Melanie and I left after only an hour of helping them, maybe an hour and a half. And we're like, we're never doing this again. Welcome never, ever, 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 ever. How many years has Texas and Florida been like at the top as like the most? Yeah, I think as long as I've been alive. Yeah, like that's always been the case. You know, but I mean, here's some interesting ones. Idaho, Florida ranks right behind Texas, followed by North Carolina, Idaho. South Carolina, and Tennessee. So those are the top five are okay. Florida, Texas, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And then the rounding out of the top 10 is Idaho, Washington, Arizona, Colorado, and Virginia. Hmm. So despite all that you hear I get about Colorado, I get Idaho yeah. um, having issues, those are particular markets within Idaho, but Idaho as, a, as an entire state is still doing doing a good job heading in the, in the plus plus side. It's the um, Ronda Conger. It's the Ronda Conger. You know, you know who's in 50th place, like the worst in terms of inbound? Oh, oh, okay. Hmm. Let me think. Let me think. 50th place. Is it somewhere in the north? No, is it, is it California or somewhere in the northeast? It is California. California. That one's pretty, pretty easy to guess. But how about the s- second or third? Worst performing state. Mm. Oh, where's my, uh, I feel like I got a Jeopardy. There it is. Did you have to say um, state? I mean, yeah. New York. I know New York, New York was going to be one of my guesses. Okay. Uh, nope. It is Alaska. Massachusetts and Illinois. Hmm. Which, which Massachusetts, there's nowhere I mean, left to live. Like they're not really building houses there. So you got to get out of the state if you want a house. Uh, Illinois is maybe a little more surprising just because of, um, you know, the Chicago land, generally speaking, has yeah. continued to grow. But yeah. So uh, go ahead and click the link in the show notes to figure out where your state is in the list. Next up from searchengineland.com, Google ads team facing major restructure amid automation boom. This just cracks me up. But Google executive Sean Downey has revealed that the 30,000 person ad sales unit is set to undergo substantial changes. They're planning a major reshuffle of their 30,000 person ad sales unit. Um, first of all, just stop calling yourself uh, support. That That's like the first, like, don't lie to people. It drives me crazy. We have never, ever, ever, ever. We did have one person from Meta who was really helpful, not necessarily in like telling us things to change or to test, but just in being responsive to things that we needed help with on our end that they, they, they could help us with no one else from meta or Google has ever been helpful in any way, shape or form. So I think the funny part of the story is like, this is what AI should do. This should kill this stuff. Like 
anyway, <laughs> you don't need a you don't need a real person to support you on this. You would it would be fine with AI. Is that what you're saying? Not yeah. Well, I mean, because I, mean, I don't know. The I don't only know thing that this, they ever so do, just, Jen, is they say, "Did you know that if you spent more money, you could maybe get more clicks?" Yeah. And if oh. you spent a lot more money, like if you, I mean, if you spent eighty percent more money, you might get ten percent more traffic. That doesn't sound like a good deal, but if it you sounds if you like sales. It, if you repeat it over and <laughs> yeah. over and over again, like I guess enough people say yes, but that's what automation is for. And so the the clue is basically it's perceived as another sign that Google ads is leaning towards full automation, mm. meaning they don't, you know, they, they don't need more people to help support slash sell. <laughs> now, that being said, simultaneously, as we're talking about this, our group is talking in Slack about like, what does it look like if you were to build an ad using like chat GPT, like what do their results say? And my favorite quote is, I just tried it and it sucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, AI is about to go through a real lull in the hype cycle. Um, 2023 was, it's the answer for everything. And even, you know, I, I follow some of the people on LinkedIn who constantly post something new every day, but it's like none of that, if it matters, you're still putting a human on it. And that human might use an AI tool to help with some of the brainstorming process, but the yeah. idea of copy and paste on that. And again, I just can't emphasize enough. It's not thinking yet. There is no thought. Exactly. It is pattern recognition only. Um, so it can only yeah, push it, out the data that it's receiving and that data isn't enough yet for it to do anything that we're not doing faster. Yeah. And better. Uh, next up from the Builders Daily, uh, which is a fantastic uh, publication, John McManus is always, uh, always, almost always going to be a must read article. And I thought this one was um, interesting in that it, it touched on kind of both things that make me excited. He frames it as that, you know, there's two challenges set and the terms and conditions for success. Um, but, but one is psychological and one is math. And I was like, oh, oh, this is, this is going to be interesting. So the psychological that is challenge. right up your alley. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, let's, <laughs> let's crime in all, all these parts of the brain in one and have a really fun conversation. Psychological challenge has two layers. One is to spark households who can now buy to put hesitation aside and take the plunge. That's kind of what we talked about for, gosh, at least the last half of 2023, six yep. months or so of like, they're out there, they're looking. You've got to help them get over the hump of, of this is, this would be a bad decision as a consumer mm -hmm. to begin or continue this process. The other layer um, is to narrow the consideration set of purchase options to a single pathway forward. So psychological challenges, two layered, um, get them to want to want to move forward and remove hesitation, which is all about building certainty. Shout out again to Julie and, and her book, but it's all about how can we build certainty? Um, mm -hmm. To, to provide that path forward. And then narrow the consideration set of options is, is about the complexity of like the paradox of choice. Yep. And the only thing I'll say to that is there is a difference still. In, in the paradox of choice, a lot of people, it's a great book. You should go back and read it uh, or at least a summary if you haven't. If you have one option or you give people three options, or you give people 10,000 options. Three is way better than one. 10,000 is way worse than three. Yeah. And so there is this right number. And I, I just want to reiterate again, the answer is not, here is the only way to do business with us. Here is the only thing you can buy. Here is the only way that you can, which is again, Jen, we were talking about this earlier. Someone was like, yeah, I don't, I'll be interested to see how walk-in traffic changes in 2024. And then his next thought was <laughs> like verbally to us, it's like, but does it really matter? And Jen's like, no, <laughs> super quick. Yeah. It doesn't. No. But just because okay. it doesn't matter in the same way that it used to, doesn't mean you should prevent people from being able to walk in and say no. the only way you can do, I mean, there still are builders who are saying, mm -hmm. if you want to meet with our sales team, you must be pre-qualified and have a scheduled appointment period. There's no other way to get into or view our product. So I want to add something to this because 
this is one of my favorite things to talk about in online sales. And I think it goes with what you're saying is the power in selecting one or getting somebody invested in that one, or like you're saying, three choices versus here's a whole, we have tons of communities to choose from. We have a lot of things that could work for you versus you know, yes, we have, you know, there's a lot we have here, but hey, let's chat for a few minutes and really determine which one would work best for you or which one I think you should start at. Because I see online sales make mistake of, hey, come on out. We've got 10 different communities or 10 different home, you know, and it's overwhelming yep. and you will get somebody more invested and excited if you take the time to drill down to that selection because mm -hmm. then they're going to be yeah. best and they're going to be you know beth took the time to talk to me and find out really what we're looking for and she says that the you know kevin plan is going to be best for our family like then they're going to get more excited about that so that is a huge way that online sales can make an impact in this psychology mm -hmm. challenge with the consumer yeah, I love the use of the word narrow to a single pathway forward because narrow doesn't yeah. mean boxed in. It just means that you are right. focused and it means right. that your options are reduced down and aligned. Curated. I mean, I, I really love the word yeah. curated because it means yeah. someone put thought into it. Right. It wasn't just limited because there's mm -hmm. a reason why. And that reason, if the person curating is smart, is a good one. Mm-hmm. And that's like why if, from a marketing standpoint, you have to play that balance really well, like where you can't just deliver out and push out all this content that's all over the place. You got to curate it and you have to make it relevant to what it, what you're trying to get them to do. That's what mm -hmm. I was just thinking, like for, you know, following up with somebody, like if we've had this conversation, let's say we, you didn't get the appointment, whatever, but you put in those notes, you, you got them down to a couple different options, you sending a follow-up that is very intentional and curated. Like these are the homes I picked for you. Mm -hmm. Like that's going to make the customer be like, oh my gosh, like these are the ones that, you know, because if you're positioning yourself as a new home specialist or an expert, which you should, then it's like, oh, Jen has picked these homes out for us based on what I've told her. Like that right there is versus, you know, here's a link to all of our <laughs> move in ready homes, Ugh. you know, like, yeah. So and on a marketing standpoint, like think about the content that you're presenting and what you want them, what next steps you want them to do. They're on a, they're on happy acres. They're visiting it. If there's not enough information there, you're not giving them enough to go down that narrow path. Mm -hmm. But if you curate content that to Kevin's point and to Julie's lovely book creates more certainty to them because they're starting to visualize what life will be like to live in happy acres. Then they're right. more than likely to take that next step along the path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, um, the math problem that he references in the article is just about trying to expand the total market that you can serve, not go after an ever small sliver of it. Meaning don't just resign yourself to the fact of saying, well, we're only going to be able to build homes for the top 1% of, of the people in a financial situation in our, because that, if that's where everyone's rushing to, it's kind of last bastion of, of, of profitability uh, and, and scale, then it's just, it's going to be more in competition. It's going to be harder. So you're trying to widen the number of people that you can offer a home to and not shrink it. And then um, this is going to come back later at the very end of our show, but um, he also quotes, uh, Morgan Household, who's an author and um, runs uh, an organization called the Collaborative Fund. Uh, and he references a quote in a book called The Lessons of History. And it's that learn enough from history to bear reality patiently and respect one another's delusions. Um, the bear reality patiently part means like understand that things will come to their natural end point cycles are going to mm. always be part of our industry mm -hmm. and you have to not this. I wish we would have talked about this quote, uh, in the middle of the pandemic. It was like, we can't change how we roll out sales every two weeks to our team. It back to, like there was actual whiplash effect that was occurring of psychological destruction 
of, of people's teams. Yeah. That, that was absolutely. And it's because people couldn't help themselves. They just, they couldn't say, Hey, we can, we can actually wait a week or two. It's like, no, this is going to, this is going to, it's got to be changed now. Mm-hmm. Um, the respect of not one another's delusions is I think an expertly crafted way of talking about what salespeople have to do. Like, there are some sales trainers and sales processes that are like, you just tell them they're wrong and how they're wrong and you shine the light on them just as brightly as possible. And of course they're going to come over to your side or they weren't really going to buy from you anyway. And it's like respecting someone else's delusion isn't just an interesting way to frame it. It, it like I could just, I could sit and ponder that phrase for another 30 minutes with a cup of coffee and have a ton of fun about what it means. Because delusions, I mean, that's this is where some people hate this saying, I used to be one of those people, but perception is reality. And that doesn't excuse any behavior, but it does have to bring you to the point of understanding. For the person who has that perception, they mm-hmm. might be wrong, but it is their reality. And if you mm-hmm. break people's reality, that's that's why we used to have insane asylums. Like you can't do that. It, well, you can't come back from that. That, that's yeah, a, you can't, insane. You can't someone's going insane the relationship is ending right uh, i just think that's uh it's it's a great article go uh go check it out and um last but not least from realestatenews.com what higher sales numbers could mean for the year ahead moxie works predicts home sales will increase eight percent in volume year over year in january which could bolster economic predictions of a rebound in 2024 you guys can talk about whatever parts you you in, find insightful about this article. But to me, the big thing is saying an 8% increase is not a, it's a good increase, not an amount of increase that could terrify you. Meaning if, if the number of existing homes on the market were to begin to increase by 30, 40%, that would not be good for home builders. Mm-hmm. It would not be yeah. good for home builders. But I really think this like eight to 10% range, especially from the low that we're at of available homes can just give people this uh, greater confidence that the market isn't frozen. Yeah, exactly. That I can trade up. Yeah, I think it's a good trade thing. down, trade sideways. It goes back to the psychology of it all. You know, the mindset shift from where we were last year in comparison to this year is different. And if the market increases just that amount, it's enough to move the needle in overall confidence for people to want to make the change who mm-hmm. are willing and able to. And I think that's where the positive come positive side comes for builders. There's still so many pros to buying new construction. So, yeah. if, you know, versus used homes. So that if, if that increase create some confidence like you're saying and, and more certainty, then mm-hmm. great. And <laughs> let me show you why this is, we have so many more things to offer over here um, yeah. in new construction. So, And I think it's important to pay attention. Like I've had a lot of conversations over the past couple months of paying attention to what's moving in your area. Like kind of going back to what you said, Kevin, if you have this narrow-minded view of who your customer is that you're trying to tap into, and you could broaden that just slightly, it could have a huge impact on your business using the Stanley Cup story that was just released at the end of the year about how they grew from 75 million to 750 million because they shifted their products slightly and realized that they were just tapping into the wrong audience, not really wrong, but they tapped into a new audience and look what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I still struggle with the best way to articulate this like defined audience, who's your customer thing, because you do have to have an idea in your mind. It helps create yes. grounded thought processes for developing product in communities and neighborhoods. And at the day at the end of the day, the number of t- times I've talked to people who have had very successful sales commu- sales rate communities or master plans, and they say you know what ended up happening? We sold a bunch of stuff to no one who was anywhere like what we thought they would be. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't mean that you should, the whole process was worthless, but it does mean that it's way better to be adaptive 
to the actual data that like start with a plan and then be ready to get punched in the face and change the plan. And yeah, Beth, that's what we call, that's what we call when something happens automatically. Right. Yeah. Beth, you're muted. Sorry. I don't... Oh yeah. I think what's interesting there is what I'm hearing is that you always have to know your audience either way, know your demographic right way. Well, that's, that's my, that's my thing is if you're doing a pre-sale without fail ish process and you're communicating with people and Jen, I love it. Every time you do this, you're like, Hey, we should really be talking to people on these pre-sale lists. Mm -hmm. If yeah. you do that, then you don't have to go as far into who these people may or may not be because they will tell you who they are. And digital makes it so easy yeah. to reach people who are interested in the geographic location and general pricing first. And then like, again, with, uh, I'll end with this story and then we'll go to favorites is, um, I think, I feel like I tell this at least twice a year, but a townhome project in Pittsburgh where we thought the, the audience was going to be dual income, uh, no kids people who wanted to live in a really uptown area in a three, three or four story out of the ground townhome building. Um, and it ended up being full of old people who wanted to die in their townhome and they all expected an elevator to be an included feature. And we had never considered putting an elevator in there, but we found that out five months before we go to sale and we found a way to put an elevator in there and that's what everyone bought. So. Bro, well, I did that as an OSC. Everybody I was talking to on this interest list wanted a ranch. Like hmm. we weren't building that. Like that was not in the plan. And I went yeah. to the builder and I was like, all these people, they're calling in because they want this ranch. And so they they came back and got a ranch. Hmm. I feel like uh, I feel like the title for this episode should be go find the antidotes, because what what that really means is like, go have the conversations, because we, we know that most of the most of the players in our space now use great data and insights from someone like Zonda or John Burns, mm -hmm. et cetera, to help inform right. what decisions they're making and what kind of product should be built. But go and talk to people, go and get some antidotes and see if they line up with the data or not, because that, that ranch example or first floor, yeah. uh, you know, owner suite is again, it's like the number of times that that is surprised people should mm -hmm. be surprising. Market research well, and, and be, research. be proactive mm -hmm. in your communication because that same story, I initially went and the builder said, okay, well, I'm not going to make adjustments for, you know, three or four people saying this. And so I kept, mm -hmm. I kept record of it in the CRM, created That's a group right. in there all. And I had like 50 people that were waiting, you know, that wanted one. Cause I said, it wasn't a no, it was a. We don't have that right now, but if you want me to keep you up, we may eventually have one and can let you know. Went back and said, now I have this big list. And I said, okay. So, I mean, that is. Yeah. Jen, safe. did that make you feel successful? Oh, when that happened? Man, I was liking myself. I was what I was doing. I was liking how I was doing. I was liking who I did it with. Whoop. Yeah. The payoff yeah. was way better than being like, I'm not doing any of this work. We'll just let them like, oh, figure it out. Oh, we don't have that. The... Okay, thanks. Bye. No. And then saying, oh, by yeah. the way, all the leads I'm getting are unqualified. For are not good. Leads. Yeah. Let's exactly. just not count those people. Exactly. Those, we don't have enough leads. Yep. Oh, I love it. All right. Current, the current favorites or things that you hate. Uh, Jen, you may now talk about. Let me just talk to you about the Ember <laughs> mug that I received. Um, I didn't know that I needed this in my life, but now that I have one, I love it. Oh, it is so amazing. Fun. I love Worth it. Worth the yes. hype. I've already gotten yeah. requests from people being like, how can we win one of those? Nick, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really, yeah. I didn't really know what it was at first until my friend who gave me a coffee warmer for my desk said, Oh, trying to show me up with the Ember mug. That's pretty sweet. I was like, yeah. And then I was like, Googling. <laughs> well, it's, it's like what, it's one of those things that again, like an old person would typically say, you're like, do we really need a Bluetooth battery powered coffee mug in our life? That seems excessive. Right. right. You know, the only yeah. thing that could be worse would be an AI 
Bluetooth battery <laughs> right. mug in right. our life. But then but... you use it and you're like, oh, <laughs> that like having coffee right. at the perfect temp perfect temperature for an for a two hour period is pretty it's one of those things you just didn't know you that's right needed, you didn't like know you, you needed yeah. it in your life. That's great. Uh Beth, what do you got? Um Kevin, you've already heard me talk about this several times, but while home for Christmas, we unearthed my OG Game Boy color from circa 1998 and I got completely re-addicted to it. Um I've since tried to quit cold turkey from it. It helps that it's not backlit, so I can't use it at night and stay up all night playing it, so that's good. <laughs> um but kind of talking about our conversation that we had internally as a team today, Kevin, it reminded me that I just love retro games better than like new age games or like more modern games. And I think it's mm -hmm. because of their simplicity. They're just simple and they're not overly complex. And it's a good reminder to just sometimes the answer is to stick to something that's a little bit more simple instead of overcomplicating it. Mm -hmm. And nostalgic. I, I got my son something like that for Christmas and I heard them playing a game that I forgot existed. And instantly I had all the feels. I was just like, oh my yeah. gosh, I heard that sitting on my beanbag chair in my 1960s, you know, home that I grew up in With or me. in the eighties. Uh -huh. Yes. I grew up in the, in the eighties, but it was built in the sixties or late early seventies. The number of hours I heard that tune, you know, so there simple is is true nostalgic obviously is a, is a real uh, nostalgia is a is a real thing that that has power i love it um mine i know if you listen to the previous episode you're already like here i talked about this but i'm just telling you this book same as ever by oh, the previously mentioned yeah. morgan I wrote it, down. it is unbelievably fun and i'll give you one uh, example of like you've heard me say this a million times or versions of it is that it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to take hard work. That's where the value is. But he uses an example. And the, the whole premise of the book again is these are the things that don't change about humans. And they're all, and, and if you focus on the things that don't change, it makes it way easier to adapt to the, to the other things that do. And he talks about this conversation that I believe is happening between Jerry Seinfeld and David Letterman. And they were talking about how um, one of them was feeling like they weren't getting a lot of good results from their comedians, writers that they had hired. And the other one said, wouldn't it be more strange if like these people always came up with comedic gold every day and just like they just snapped their fingers and the funniest sketches of your life came out like that would be even stranger, wouldn't it? And they both were like, yeah, actually, this is supposed to be hard. Like you just... There's no way to get around it. You've got to do the hard work and and put it in. And um, so I think there's 23, 24 different examples of that. And it's a great book. I mean, the trilogy to me of psychological um, marketing is Influenced by Caldini, Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely, and Same as Ever by Morgan Housel. Those three books together to me, and then really digging deep into the sales process that your company uses connecting those dots to tangibly what you do every day is incredibly important. And all three of those books will help you do it. And, and what did uh, you tell us? Links what did you tell us about? What did you tell us about Spotify though earlier too? Oh yeah. This is a, this is just a general life hack yeah. um, is, is Spotify now includes a certain number of hours. I can't, I, I think it's 10. I think I've gone over four or five already this month and it's still working um, of audiobooks. And so you can skip around. It, it's it's not by like you have to check out one audiobook and that's it for the month. It's just a number of hours and you can skip around and listen to what you want and decide, nope, that one's not worth it. So I don't think it's totally the death of Audible, but I would for sure skip around. And then if you really like a book and you're running low on time, then buy it with your Audible credit. But it's a it game changer. It didn't work for me because my husband is the manager of our Duo account. Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what that, that means, but you need to fix that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> need to, he, need to though, he reads way more than I do. So you need to get a family plan. Just get the family plan. That's what I'm, we have the family plan. The audio book is only for the manager of the family plan. 
or get out. Well, it's good oh. to be the manager then. I'm glad I'm the manager. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> Got to stick to my Libby. Oh, shoot. All right. I just learned about Libby. Should I not? Should I? I'm like, I just learned You're concerned about, that. about Libby. What does that mean? No, I just, just learned. She I just know learned about it. Your kids are all out of school. You know, they're out of the house. Yeah. yeah. I, I just learned about it. Yeah. Like my Jesse told me. Well, the thing you got to be careful of as we round out the show <laughs> is it's hard to get kids to read anymore because they're like, I just get, I mean, my nine-year-old supposed to read a book over Christmas vacation and we're making sure he's physically reading the book. And he's like hacking in his iPad to download Libby, creating a fake library card number somehow, creating an account just to yes. get the audiobook version of the book he's supposed to read so yep. he can just lay down and listen to it. Love so, it. Hacking thing. That sounds like your child. Sounds yeah, genius sounds like to ugly. me. Sounds like an ugly. <laughs> genius. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for this week. Uh, again, Thanks, have, hope your new year is off to a great start. The market's here. Have fun with it. Best of success, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Market Proof Marketing. Can't wait for the next one? Or looking to connect with other new home marketers? Become a member of our private community, DYC All Access, which is 100% free and always will be. Get exclusive content not shared anywhere else, access to private events, and the ability to join a marketing impact group with other marketers like you around the country. Visit our link in the show notes or members.doyouconvert.com to join. All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peek, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. Now get to work and make sure your company is market-proof. <laughs> <laughs>